Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. I'm curious, how much did you share with the three of them about where your heads were at and how did that go? Because I I sort of imagine if I'm a candidate and there's a full-time job that I'm interviewing for and I have made it to the top three, I'm like, <laughs> yo, what? How, where, who, where do these other people come from? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined by my intrepid co-host, Rodney Evans. Hello, hello, hello. We are also joined today by Kelsa Summer-Royt, the Chief Operating and Impact Officer of Habitus Incorporated. Kelsa, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. On today's episode, we're going to talk about how new principles and practices can shape the hiring process, and in particular, how your attempt to hire someone new ended up in an unexpected place. But before we get into all that, we do very much like to check in. We very much enjoy our check-in round question, and so we will do it today. (laughs) And related to the topic at hand, the check-in round question that I have selected is this one. What is something that you love about your team? Any team you're on, your whole Mm. team, whomever. Aaron, I'm going to start with you. What do you love about your team? I think my favorite thing about my team at the Ready is that we're all so nerdy about the same thing that so few other people are nerdy about that it feels like, I don't know, it feels like home in that way. Like you can share this really obscure, really potentially to anyone else on earth boring article and people will be like, ah, oh, this is the shit. Like this is really cool. <laughs> I like that. I like being like amongst the misfit toys in, in a category and it makes me feel more whole. Nice. I love that. Kelsa, what about you? Oh, such a good one. I love my team. So many things in particular. I think one of the things that I love about working at Habitus is that we take really seriously walking the talk in terms of what we teach. And one of the things we teach is how to have difficult conversations. And Mm -hmm. so we all have practiced and failed and tried again to have difficult conversations with each other and do that really well. And I feel like we've gotten to the point where, you know, something can come up that's hard and we're able to talk it through in a way that doesn't damage the relationship, which is just a really nice way to work. I love that. There are a million things I love about my big ready team and also the small project team that I work on. One of them is that I feel like we are a people who can figure out things that seem unfigureoutable. 
(laughs) And that's super fun. I am in a lot of conversations when we're at retreats or even in my small project team where it's like, ooh, this thing is gnarly. There's a hundred years of history about how this is done. We know that it's broken. It's unimaginable that no one has come up with something better, but I think we can, and then we do. And that is something that is, I find, quite enlivening in terms Mm. of a work crew to be a part of. That's super cool. I never thought of that, but I do like that. Okay, so today's topic is a recent hiring experience at Habitus, but I'd like to start first by asking you, Kelsa, to tell the folks at home, what is Habitus and what does the company do exactly? Yeah, so we are a small Boston-based training and facilitation firm. And what we do is four things. We run trainings, we facilitate meetings, conversations, gatherings, we do coaching, one-on-one or team coaching, and we mediate. We're all trained mediators. And the topics that we work in are negotiation, difficult conversations, meeting design and facilitation, and behavior change. And so we work with lots of different types of clients, types of organizations, individuals all over the country. But our our mission is to serve organizations doing systems level work on environmental sustainability and social justice. So our sweet spot of clients is the people we're really excited to work with, especially excited to work with, are the organizations doing that type of work. Nice. That sounds like uh, an in-demand skill set (laughs) at the moment. Yeah. So, okay, so now we understand what the company does. This, This story came to me through a family member, and I was so excited about it that I, I wanted to kind of get you on the show to talk about it. Just set the stage for how this story unfolded. So you you had to make a hire, I assume, or some there was some need in the organization that emerged. Just kind of, I don't know, paint the picture for us for a second, and then we'll we'll dig in to find out what happened. Absolutely. So I think we're starting in, I guess it's June of 2020, and we're a three-person team. Myself, our founder, Justin, and my colleague, Nipur, and we're starting to embark on our self-management journey. We've been experimenting with self-management practices in a couple different places in the organization for a while, and we know that this summer we want to launch like self-management across the company. And so we start working on our charter, and we're <laughs> breaking down all the roles that we all do And we get this long list of roles that either nobody is doing but desperately need to get done, like they come up as pain points all the time, or someone is doing it, but they don't have the bandwidth to do it well, they don't have the energy for it, whatever it is. And so we've got this list of roles that are all TBD. And so we thought, okay, well, we're probably going to have to hire somebody to fill some of these roles. And so we kind of build a package of what we're looking for. and launch a hiring process. So we put all these roles together and we decide on a position that I have to read it to say exactly what it is, training program and blended learning coordinator. Fancy. It almost makes an acronym. I like it. Right. Long enough to be unrememberable. 
But anyway, it doesn't matter because it's going to break down into the roles and they're going to all get fun names and the job title is, is sort of neither here nor there. But anyway, so what this person is going to do is kind of build out the areas of our business that we feel like are the future, which are training new trainers and specifically new trainers from diverse backgrounds who wouldn't would necessarily traditionally have had barriers to access into the training field. So that's one piece of this. And the other piece of it is blended learning, building out our online course suite, but also just taking a more hybrid online in-person approach to our work, which was traditionally mostly in person. And that's not the way the world is going. So that was the person, that was the job description. Mm -hmm. And we, I worked with to equity, diversity, and inclusion advisors to help me design the hiring process and the job description itself. So that was super helpful. I can go more into that if it's of interest. We put the job description out in the world. We got 369 applications, which I know isn't a lot for some companies, but felt kind of a lot for us. That's a lot for a three-person shop. With our three-person team. Um, And we did initial interviews and then we did follow-up interviews. And finally, we get to this pool of six sort of finalists Mm -hmm. down from 369. And side note, we're a, you know, we do negotiation training. We teach a style of collaborative negotiation or a method, really. And so we, we were running this process as a collaborative negotiation. And so we get to the end with these six people and we're really digging into what matters to them, which is kind of the core of a collaborative negotiation is identifying interests and understanding what's important to people on both sides. Mm. And so we have this, this interest identification conversation with the six people separately. And then we you know, we're planning to hire one person, but there's three people. We're just like, I don't think we can live without these three people. We need to, we need to kind of throw the plan Mm. out the window and figure out a way, figure out a model that's going to meet everyone's interests, get all three of these folks on our team and fill these roles in a different way than we'd expected. Why hire one when you can have three? Exactly. Right. And also, as you've whittled it down from 369 applications, it feels like kind of a a disappointment to only hire one person. Yeah. So I'm curious when you get down to these three, because I I have been in and around a lot of hiring processes where the final countdown gets very difficult. And when you're at, you know, a top two or a top three candidates, they're they're not the same. They're not similar. And they both have huge numbers of appealing and attractive and complementary qualities. Mm-hmm. What what was true of these three in terms of what made them irresistible? Yeah. One was a really strong mission alignment with all three people. They were mm-hmm. all they are all people who cared about Habitus's mission of serving organizations doing this sustainability and social justice work. They were all really excited about embarking on this journey of self-management, which at that point they now knew was fairly new to us. 
They all had a strong education background, which was important to us in the work we do, but in kind of different ways, coming from Mm -hmm. different fields. And they all happened to have some real diversity, equity, and inclusion expertise. And Mm -hmm. that was important in some of the roles we were trying to fill, and it was valuable in all of them. So yeah, those were some of the great things. And, you know, when we were on conversations with all three of these people, we got energy from being on calls with them. We wanted Mm -hmm. to have more conversations about the things that mattered in the company. Nice. So as the as the pretend CFO in this in this podcast, <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> we don't. We only have the budget for one, right? Uh, yeah. So how <laughs> did you talk about that? Did that come up? Was that a stressor? Like, what was the what were those conversations like when you realized that you really wanted three, but you really only had capacity for one? Well. A couple of things. We had we had built in some buffer and backup plans from a financial perspective because you know this is this is summer of 2020. Nothing is a sure thing. Certainly sure. not in an industry <laughs> that's um, you know can sometimes feel like a luxury good, although we don't think it is. So we done that. We had to get our bookkeeper on board, but you know we figured that we were growing. We were growing fast. We had more. Uh, work than our three-person team could do. And it felt like a really important, these areas around, excuse me, around training and around online courses and blended learning just felt like really important investments to make. And so we, you know, we looked at the financials and we figured we could make it work with a couple of caveats that I think gets to the the proposal we ended up coming up with, which wasn't exactly like three full-time positions. I'm very curious to understand because, you know, I hold this hiring role at the ready and, and Mm -hmm. something we are trying hard to do is be in conversation with candidates almost as if they were already here. So like sort of, you know, starting the way we mean to finish in terms of transparency and candor and authenticity and all of that stuff. I'm curious, how much did you share with the three of them about where your heads were at and how did that go? Because I, I sort of imagine if I'm a candidate and there's a full-time job that I'm interviewing for and I have made it to the top three, I'm like, <laughs> yo, what, how, where, who, where these other people come from? Yeah, definitely. So I, I would just start by saying the transparency piece was so important throughout the whole process. I think that was one of the big learnings from our EDI advisors was transparency from the outset is super important to an inclusive process. So in the job description, we talked about self-management. We also talked about salary and benefit expectations and are really specific. We talked about what the onboarding process would look like on and on. But fast forward to the those last couple weeks of the hiring process, our team had identified we wanted all three of these people. And we had kind of, from these conversations about what mattered to them, we had started to tease out, because you know that's our job to, to do so, started to tease out that one person, for example, was willing to take on a full-time job, but really didn't want it, really mm. wanted something part-time. Mm-hmm. We started to tease out that 
one person was really passionate about the online course piece and excited about the train the trainer the trainer program but was happy just taking on that piece and the third person we 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 called her up and said you know correct us if we're wrong but it seems like you really want to work with habitus and the job itself matters less mm. to you is that yeah. true and she was like yep that's right and so she actually was then in a ended up in a training and sales role which was completely not what was uh, in the job description to begin with, but we desperately needed because we were just bringing in more work than we could do. Mm-hmm. So we called everyone up individually and said, let's test if we understand correctly what you want. And then we said, we're going to throw out something unusual. Would you be interested in an option that was just this full-time job around online courses? Or in another case, would you you know, it sounds like you want a part-time, part-time role. How about you just take on the training trainer program? Would that be interesting to you? Mm-hmm. And, and to the third, et cetera, the training and the sales role. And everyone was like, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. And, and so we circled back up as a team and we thought, okay, well, we could call everyone back and say, okay, this is what we think you should do. Here's your offer letter, whatever. Or we could actually do something different and get all of the three candidates on the call with the three of us and with three advisors who were part of our train the trainer program and are still involved with the organization. We get okay. nine folks on the call and let me stop there and see if you have questions before I get to the punchline. <laughs> Not yet. I'm curious about the call and then I have follow-ups. Yeah. Tell us about the Brady Bunch. Okay. So we're going to do a nine-person call, and we're going to bring an integrated decision-making proposal to the call that's based on all the interests we identified that follows from kind of the options we pressure-tested with people ahead of time. And so we get on the call. I'm presenting the proposal. Justin's facilitating the IDM process. For anyone who has not had experience using IDM and wants to know all of the inside baseball of how that process unfolds, you can listen to our participatory governance episode where we talk about it in detail. Great. So we have, I'm proposing a proposal and it (laughs) it names the tensions. We need more people on the team and lays out this three person option. And we do a round of clarifying questions people, you know, trying to understand what's going on. And then we do kind of two-part comment round where we go out into breakout rooms and people kind of workshop different pieces of the proposal that are relevant to their roles. We -hmm. come back, we get amendments, and then we do a fist-to-five vote where anyone on the call can, can block the proposal. But I think more importantly, everyone on the call has to consent to it because that's that's how we make decisions and that'll be our new team making those kind of decisions and sure enough it got fours and fives and we get you know we gave people a, a night to sleep on it before mm-hmm. we sent contracts for sure um, <laughs> yeah but that's that's set the stage for our new team did you know going into the call what you wanted to propose or was it actually emerging in the call 
So we did know what we wanted to propose, although we were certainly open to something else emerging. I would say in the end, there were tweaks to start dates to hours, a couple of tweaks to roles, Mm -hmm. but nothing major. I like that. And have you all in the time since then, have you revisited what was consented to in that process and further refined it? Yes, pieces of it. So the roles are, of course, then integrated into our charter Sure. And we we review that monthly. So that's been through two at this point, kind of team reviews of role tweaking. We'll do a retrospective on sort of the whole orientation process that started at that moment, I think in January. So that'll be interesting to get people's perspective on what the outcomes have looked like, you know, now that they're in the roles and have really gotten their feet under them in it. Yeah, that's great. One thing that I'm really taking from this story and very much squares with my lived experience of doing hiring in the last year or so is it's so important when you are inside the organization trying to bring people in to not lay assumptions on what people will expect or what people will demand or how people will roll without investigating that with them. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people at the ready who have said things to me about candidates like, well, they won't, they won't be interested in this because it's this industry or this person won't be interested because it's this time zone or at this rate, they'll never take it. And it's like, we just don't know Hmm. if that's true. And we don't know anything about people's lived experience, especially now where, you know, half of the people I know have changed something significant about their jobs during a pandemic. And so I just, I really like the investigation that you all did. And I would encourage anyone listening to this to, to stop yourself from assuming that people you're interviewing demand the same things that you demand or have the same expectations that you would have. And instead just have a conversation about what might be possible because I'm routinely surprised when I talk to our candidates about people who are like, you know what? I actually like, I think I'm going to have a baby. I would love to talk to you in a year. And I'm like, great. We don't mm-hmm. have anything for you right now in Switzerland. Anyway, go, go <laughs> have that baby and call me. You know, it's like, it's amazing when you just open yourself up to the idea that people are fluid and have lots and lots of aspects of their lives that might actually fit together really well into your organization. What can happen? Yeah, that feels so important because if and if you don't do that you risk ending up with an agreement that doesn't actually work right. for folks and you know that's painful to fix later mm-hmm. on yes absolutely so what about this whole experience has informed how you will hire in the future <laughs> <laughs> great question we did so. We did a retrospective on the hiring qu- quite shortly after. It didn't include uh, our new team, mm-hmm. and I think, I mean, basically, I think we do it again for sure. I think, sort of top level, demonstrating what it looks like to work in a self-managed organization, or more specifically, what it looks like to work in Habitus, mm-hmm. is very effective during the mm-hmm. hiring process. One because 
by the time we got to the end of it, we were pretty sure that our three new hires were like bought into this idea and were willing. Yeah, they had the vibe to, by then. Ex- exactly. And I think it just, it's not a great approach to do a process in hiring that looks really different than the way you work. It sets unfair expectations. It's not transparent. And I mean, I, I think you're just way more likely to get a great fit if your hiring process looks like as best you can, like your organization. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's funny. I was having a conversation with someone recently who's going through the hiring process at a gigantic, gigantic American company. <laughs> and it, you know, it was just so full of bullshit and like mm. I like IQ tests and shit that have nothing to oh do with the God. job. It was just like so ridiculous. And and her experience with her hiring manager was great. And the hiring manager was really like, I know all of this stuff is crazy, but like we, you know, we have to do these things and blah, 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 blah. And, and we were having this conversation about whether it was really going to be that bad inside. And I was Mm. like, dude, it is turtles all the way down. Like they are signaling to you right now what what your life is going to be like. So if you're into this, Great, but like be prepared to fill out the TPS reports for the rest of your life there because it's not going to look better on the inside than it looks from where you're sitting right now. And I think that's a thing people like we rationalize these things away or we try not to pay attention, but I think it's really important for us to design our our hiring processes to be reflective of the reality that we live in rather than something that's aspirational or something that's divergent. It's like, that just doesn't serve anyone. Let's be realistic about what you're actually signing up for here. Well, and in some ways, I mean, Conway's law would suggest that it's impossible for it to be anything other than a mirror of what's actually (laughs) going on. Aspirations or not, obviously you can, you know, sell people a bill of goods when you're talking to them, but the overall process... I am curious, though, to backtrack, you know, from that big picture insight to something about roles here, because Mm -hmm. it feels to me or it sounds to me like the story you're telling is a story of we decided we needed a role and we met some people that we liked so much that we built roles around people. And what that makes me wonder is the next time you hire, are you just going to put a net out and meet people and (laughs) see what emerges or are you going to write a role again? Good question. I hadn't thought about that yet. Um, <laughs> I think it's a, I think it's a mix of both. Mm-hmm. So we needed our organization's needs to be met. Like mm-hmm. we needed someone working on online courses. We were, you know, open to having that look really different than we expected. So I think in the future, just thinking out loud here, I would probably put a job description out that identified more clearly, like what were the roles that we were looking for internally and set the stage of like job descriptions aren't self-management. So, and it kind of explained that to folks. So here are the roles we've got on the table. Maybe you bring other roles, would want to fill other roles, have energy for other roles that we don't know about yet. And that's cool too. Yeah, I think- But here's the work as we see it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's, I think that's wise. And I recently had an experience with a version of this that basically it happened because I don't know what I'm talking about more than because of intention, but we are currently thinking about bringing someone into the ready to sort of be like our digital catch all 
person that like looks after social media and website and podcast stuff and blah, 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 blah. And Mm. through a good friend, I met with someone who does stuff sort of like that. And basically I just shared the link with her of the notion page and, and our quote unquote interview was me being like, there's a lot of stuff in here. Why don't we just walk through it? And you tell me which of this stuff you know how to do and which (laughs) stuff you like doing and which stuff you don't, because there's no point to me of putting on the performance that you know how to do all 10 things, 10 of these things at an expert level a B, if we believe in the atomization of roles and not monolithic job descriptions, and you tell me that website isn't your thing, we can probably cheaply and expediently outsource that. So now my new question for you is, are you willing to deal with the outsourced person to make sure that gets done on a schedule so it doesn't become our problem? But like, she found this experience to be quite refreshing. I mostly Mm. did it because I don't even know what good looks like in some of those categories. Mm -hmm. But what it led me to is we should always do that. We should always just put the thing in front of people and go like, look at this. Tell me where you're brilliant in this, which parts of it you're not, but you'd love to learn and which parts of it we could carve off and put somewhere else. And like, it's an interesting two way iteration of whatever we have in mind in terms of the need we're filling. Which is what they're going to experience inside, right? Because it's so weird to be like, does your cookie fit our cookie cutter? Right. You know, because that's not the game we're playing once they're in. So why would you play that game when they're out? If you love what you're hearing, we would so appreciate a review, a subscription, or you forwarding this show to someone who needs it. We really do value and appreciate your support and love hearing from you. Please go do it. Do it to it. So we are back with Kelsa. And one question we had is, what have you heard from the relatively new hires about what their experience was like of this whole story? Yeah. So one, they have shared that it really built trust with us and with Habitus with just the individuals on the team, which was valuable to them. I think all three of them are people who just, oh my gosh, I think we all care about this, but care about the work environment, care that it's one that values us as whole humans. And they were looking for that. And so Mm -hmm. by experiencing this process, it built the trust that that might actually be what they were about to experience as you all were talking before that, you know, it's hard to hide what it's actually going to be like on the inside. So that felt really important. They also spoke about the process, put the mission of Habitus at the forefront. So what the purpose, why we're doing this work, we're not just, we're not doing it just to make money. That's, that's not really why we're in it. And we're also looking for that type of purpose-driven work. And anything else that they've shared? Um, I think those are the important things, the demonstration of how this actually works. Seeing that live felt important. Okay, so this is kind of a a meta one, Kelsa, but given the background of Habitus, I'm super curious about how negotiation played a role in the process. So when you all think about your hiring process and where it's going, what's being negotiated, right? Are we negotiating compensation? Are we negotiating role descriptions? Are we like, what is on the table that can be negotiated? And Mm -hmm. then how does that 
uh, intersect with your focus and your sort of resonance with DEI issues and making sure that folks that are underrepresented or undersupported are getting that support. Because historically, we know that when negotiation rears its head, usually in regular corporate America, people that look different don't do well. So I'm just curious how you navigate all those intersections. A hundred percent. Wow, that's a great question. Um, so to start, it, it's all on the it's all on the table, and I put that in the job description. Some line like, if there's something that you need to make this work for you, that's on the table. Going a little deeper. What we're negotiating is interest, is what matters to people. And the goal is to come up with an agreement, a package, a charter that works for both sides and fulfills the interests in a way that everybody not only can live with, but like, yeah, this is better than all my other alternatives. And that's why I'm going for it. And So that's why we went through this process of identifying what mattered to people, trying to build that trust by sharing what mattered to us. I mean, we really put it on the table with what mattered to Habitus, why we were hiring. We often shared what mattered like to me personally in a colleague. And then we package that together and and share some options. Like I could see it working this way. I could see a part-time role. How would that work for you? So that by the time we get to generating that that agreement, it is actually reflective of the interests as people have shared them and as they're understood, testing a variety of possibilities. So we're not just like, here's the job description, take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. But to your point about negotiation being kind of a red flag word when it comes to inclusion. I think that that was a concern. And I, when I was working with our two EDI advisors on the job description, and I I put some terminology in there around collaborative negotiation, and they were like, whoa, 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 you know what that means. You know that you're going to run a collaborative process, or at least you're going to try, but no one else knows that. That's a scary word that isn't isn't inclusive because of all the things you just said, Aaron. And uh, so I laid out what that meant. I laid out really specifically what it looked like. First, we're going to have this conversation. It's going to be a two-way conversation around fit. We want to know if you would be a great fit for us, but equally and importantly, you have to evaluate if Habitus would be a great fit for you and is going to meet your needs. So Mm -hmm. we tried the first conversation, for example, was it was a 30-minute conversation the first half was me asking questions of the candidate, but the second half was the candidate asking questions of, of me to just set the stage that I was willing to answer the questions they had. And the other piece of it, I think, was transparency around process, that I sent an agenda for that meeting ahead of time. I told them what to expect, mm-hmm. shared that, you know, I mean, this kind of goes without saying that you're going to have to ask questions in an interview, but I wanted to share that so people could come prepared and we shared agendas for all the process going forward. Yeah, so people knew what to expect. I think where I'd like to wrap up is just with you giving our listeners like three tips for a more adaptive, more meaningful, more fair, more equitable, more interesting hiring process if they are going to make a hire 
sometime soon. Mm-hmm. What are your three hot takes based on what you've learned? If you've never run a hiring process with an aim of being inclusive before, hire someone who knows how to do it, do what they say, and also be willing to take their feedback about your organizational structure in general Mm -hmm. that's going to be necessary for this to be successful, number one. Be super transparent in the job description, in the process, in the communication, all the way till the very end. Be willing to listen to your candidates and really understand what matters to them, what are their needs in this role, and be open to an out-of-the-box option that you generate from that that you might not have expected. And last but not least, pay attention to how your self-management practices, values, ethos show up in the hiring process as well. And don't do something in a hiring process that you wouldn't do in your day-to-day business operations. Love that. I love it too. And it feels like a pretty good place to tie things up. So Kelso, where can our listeners find out more about you or Habitus? So folks can learn more at habitusincorporated.com. Kelsa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. As always, a quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making all three of us sound good. We've got his work cut out for him today. And uh, (laughs) Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. You can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. And as for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something.